Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. This is episode 393 with Dr. Joe Whitcomb for the third time. Wow. Hey, guys. <laughs> Great to be here again. We always have so much fun. Um, I want to start with a, a like a kind of a big question and kind of pull apart these themes. Like I told you I work at this boxing club, Richard Lord's Boxing Club. And one of my jobs every morning is to kind of like take the dogs for a walk, make sure that they're uh, they get outside and they're not bothering the the boxers. So I take them both for a walk, and there's a sweet pea and chikanitsa. Sweet pea's a boy, and as long as I throw the tennis ball, that that dog cares about nothing in this world except the ball. He's like right. he's got a mission, you know. Mm-hmm. Chica mm-hmm. Chica needs her freedom. So even though I I kind of drag her by the scruff hey don't poop on our training mats poop on the grass she will right she will give herself the illusion of freedom she'll walk around walk around the entire perimeter and when i call her over she makes sure i know that she's coming because she wants to not because i told her to Mm. and I, i and i can't help but think that and Men and women are different. When when Sweet Pea, when I go to run after Chica because she's running like out of our property line, Sweet Pea's just bored. He's sitting there with the tennis ball right in front of him. He has no idea what to do with his life until I throw the ball. Then he knows exactly what to do and only what to do with his life. All right. Chica, uh, you know, will do everything she can to ignore me, even though she knows I can just pick her up and drag her back in the gym when I want to, but she lets me know she's in charge. So in a bigger allegory, I think men need therapy when they lack purpose and women uh-huh. need therapy when they're stuck, when they feel stuck. Right. Are on, right. Are on to something generally. Yeah, I think so. I think when, you know, cause I think you're right. Men's most important thing in life is their purpose and everything else should in a lot of ways be secondary and a woman's going to feel stuck. I would think if when her, you know, when her man is not in his mission and purpose, right. It sort of creates a, a gridlock an impasse, you know, if he's not on his purpose and mission, you know, to do that. And um, yeah, I think that can become, you know, a woman can probably feel very stuck in a lot of ways. Um, these impasses within and between, you know, as it goes to, um, but why do you think, why do you think men and women, women get feel stuck in relationship or stuck generally? You know, I just, um, listen, I'm old fashioned. Okay. Like I remember having this girlfriend, like we were each other's fur. We lost our virginity to each other, all the things. And then I just remember like we were, in europe on a public trans and then this like british guy started hitting on her and she turned like red immediately and his accent was quite charming even though he was quite drunk and Mm. i remember thinking like oh she's quite flattered that this person um is being flirty with her and then every time i go hi i'm the boyfriend he would be so dismissive oh you okay whatever like that's no Mm. obstacle like right in front of me to sort of alpha me and she was not Mm -hmm. like co-signing this and i remember when social media came out i remember having a spiritual thing of like oh no oh no this is validation of women's 
sexualstatus.com. This is going to ruin mm. everything. This mm. is so imagine, you know, a woman is not, you know, excitingly being wooed anymore. Now her purpose is sort of like laundry, child rearing, this and that. When, you know, social media is also comparison.com and comparison is the thief of joy. So when you right, see your right. other friends still trying to hang on to this like sort sort of like free lifestyle, um, it could be jealousy.com. You know, so um, <laughs> right. I just think right. it's very hard not to feel stuck if you see your other friends like going on vacation, even though the vacation is once every three years, you just see it go across your feed. And it seems mm -hmm. like everyday life. Because I right. always say people always post their marriage photos on on their social media, but not at the divor divorce attorney office. They, they'll post their fancy brunch with an arugula salad, but not their diarrhea and hemorrhoids. You know, right. so it's right. always the best, the best version of themselves. So and this kind Absolutely. of uh, plays with people. So I think it's women are tend to feel stuck. And men, as long as they have purpose, they're like, yeah, but I go to work today. So what do you mean? I got the ball. I got my eye on the ball. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So I think it's harder and harder as the internet gives the illusion, at least, of more options. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the economy of sex, you know, the economy of sex shifted quite a bit because everything, you know, the everything became much more accessible and, and more, you know, less, you don't have to, the hunting, hunting you know, or, or chasing is less, fulfilling you know and our purpose is less fulfilling and but uh i think there's a lot of people that are really discontent right now because all the things that you're talking about here that shifted our 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 dynamics to where you know we're we're not wired to we're we're not wired to be doing all this stuff online you know it's not it's not really <laughs> in our dna because we need to have connection right connections why we're here it's an important thing and you know and men i think yeah their product their their productivity is important but they're in partnership too you know they're deep are, as men i think our deepest psychic craving is that why we why we are out there you know that our their partners are to validate and champion and respect our productivity our our uh, successes right and a woman might feel stuck when she feels like her emotional world and her her feelings are not cherished or she's not being or she might feel invalidated. So you can get into some of these interesting, you know, dynamics um, that can that can erode, you know, any kind of connection, especially when you're getting stuck like that. And again, when a man's not in his mission, which is one of the things that's important, you know, he's he's probably sitting in his shame story. Right. He's not living up to, you know, his shame story might be I'm not enough. I'm not getting enough. I'm not doing enough. Whatever that story is that keeps him, you know, from connecting. Yeah. And then uh, that's where despair comes in. And that's where drug addiction feeds despair and lack yeah. of community, lack of connection. Um, mm -hmm. So I was. Yeah, I Sorry, uh, I got in a little debate with my family because they said so I had uh, I moved to Austin, Texas from New Jersey. And my roommate came from Los Angeles, who was a good friend of mine, and he started doing slamming heroin. And then the TV disappeared 
And mm. I just watched him and I go, get some friends, get some community. And he just like would not keep a job. And it was just like really terrible. And mm. I realized a few things. The mechanism of drug addiction, like I just said, was lack of community and this and that. And so I started like talking. And then uh, it was the last month rent. He didn't pay it. He stiffed me for the last month rent. And he was so desperate to be the victim because he always phoned his mom. Eric's bullying me. I'm like, how would I bully mm. him? I go pay the fucking electricity bill. It's in your name. He's bullying yeah. me. I'm like, I paid mm. my, the internet bill. The internet bill's in my name. Yours is the utility bill. Fucking go to work and pay it. End of conversation. Eric's bullying me. I'm a victim. So then mm. he was trying to score meth and I locked him outside the door and he phoned the cops and he got me for, I went all the way down to jail. I've told this story before. And then, yeah. so so they they put me in for aggravated assault on my domestic partner. I go, wait a minute, domestic, wait, say I beat him up. Don't say he's my boyfriend. What the fuck? You know what I mean? So that was the part yeah. of the paperwork I needed changing right there. Mm. But um, mm. so then, you know, my because si I spent a night in jail, no big deal. And uh, my dad helped bail me out. But then my sister said, oh, you need therapy. You have PTSD. And I was always like, no, I know what happened. I was just in, in prison by a loser. That's what happened. So it's not like confusing right. me. And I also, you know, have found a lot of purpose in my life for some of the things I told you off air. Like, I feel like a dog with a ball. I feel good. I feel happy. I got dates on my calendar. Things are going good. And then she goes, well, you, why can't you have purpose and therapy? And mm. I've been in real psychic trauma before where I ran towards therapy because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So to me, it's like therapy is like going to ER for uh, when your arm is broken and, uh, you know, I, I know I'm happy now, so I don't need it, but my family sort of is pushing me in this direction. So in your opinion, on the other side of the table as the therapist, what's your opinion? Do you think that some people come to therapy for more self-indulgent reasons? And then are, are other clients like very different because they're like in real trouble? Well, I think everybody goes in for whatever is their, whatever it is that's important to them, you know, but, but here's the thing, you know, a lot of people that sort of are really self-aware and more attuned to, you know, what's going on inside and more, you know, they're going to go seek therapy. Now, if they got some hurt, it, it might be, you know, to heal some past wounds. It might be to get better. It might get better, but you know, who doesn't go to therapy? Who? They're narcissists because they send everyone else to therapy because they think they don't have a problem, right? So, you know, it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame. So if someone's saying, hey, you got to get therapy or whatever, you know, it might be helpful to kind of go, hey, what's going on inside me, right? Because, um, you know, if, if, if one person calls me, you know, a horse's ass, I'm going to ignore it. Or a second time, I'll probably blow it up. But if I'm getting that pushback and that, you know, saying, hey, you know, I'm a horse's ass. Well, I better put a freaking saddle on it and go get some help, right? Because then I'm just making everyone else the problem and the solution to the problem, right? Because then we're always like denying reality, attacking the person, reversing blame. You're the problem for pointing out the problem, playing victim. You're the offender, that sort of pattern, right? Because they think that everyone can benefit, whether it's therapy or coaching, you know, and maybe it's maybe it might be I don't really need any to grow in anything, but maybe it's something I need to grow in empathy, 
or compassion or something else. Because if I'm not getting other people's perspectives, that could be a problem too, right? For the record, it's important for me to say this. I've asked my mom, I would go to therapy with my mom. Um, we have we have problems. Um, <laughs> um, but I feel like because I've gone, and maybe this is like, I've gone when I was like really suffering. So maybe, and I got talked through it. And anyway, shout out to Dr. Reed Doster. Um, Dr. Yeah. Reed Doster in Louisiana. Without yeah. him, I would be way, way worse off. Um, um, and maybe I have a bad perspective. Maybe it's like eating a salad every day and it's good for you yeah. no matter what. Um, maybe, maybe try a different food, you know, something else other than salad. <laughs> but you're managing i think one of the things too is expectations right so managing expectations relationships really critical right because expectations we all have them we all got them we all bring them into relationship and you know because expectations let's say without consent or agreement can create resentment but another way i like terry real to give him a shout out too. terry real said expectations are sort of like um, premeditated resentment, right? You're sort of premeditated, it's premeditated resentment because you have an expectation that's not being met, but it's also not being discussed, right? It's not being, in, you know, we're not having conversations about these expectations. We're just put, projecting these expectations or de- which end up being relentless demands or pursuits there that, you know, start, you know, because we're trying to heal something that's really important that's some of these childhood wounds that keep getting reenacted over and over right yeah because we bring it we, we all got them but yeah ex- i like that expectations are premeditated resentments mm. I mean, yeah um so what are some what are expectations yeah go ahead so I just turned uh, 38 and uh, through my twenties, I would mostly uh, what I would do is I would kind of like put uh, my girlfriend as like a talisman uh, uh, of my happiness. And Mm -hmm. I would like be of relentless service to them. And then, and kind of like, structure my life to fulfill their needs and then you know what i feel like that did it lowered my status to a simp because i'm i'm not living my best life and i really feel like women will test you because they have to have a baby inside them for nine months right so it's it's not the it's not the dumbest strategy to sort of test somebody you know put up little tests Mm -hmm. to see if they pass fail but sometimes I feel like the test is to see, like, well, will he put up with this level of bullshit or will he tell me that that my ideas are stupid? And mm, because mm. I was so in my 20s, so like completely focused on sex, I would be like, oh, these are obstacles. Blah, 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 blah. I've done the checklist. Now, now give me the sex. You know what I mean? Because I was so driven mm-hmm. by my hormones. I mean, when mm-hmm. I was 20, I could probably have impregnated every single woman on the mat uh, on the island of manhattan every like month or so so like when you're just seeing red all the it's it's a it's a wonder i got any of my schoolwork done because mm-hmm. i would like come to the finish of my assignment 
and then I would just like fill an apple jar uh, of my own semen and then I would fill another, you know what I mean? So it's like, mm -hmm. it's a it's amazing that anyone would put up with this at all. But um, mm -hmm. now that my libido has gone down to a level where I can like read recreationally and I'm like more, <laughs> I'm more like interested in ideas than just sex all the time. Um, I feel like my my purpose is like my own happiness to get my own house in order. That's why I feel, I, right. I feel like I've been focusing a lot on myself and, and see how these things are. Maybe that's a narcissism, but I feel like I kind of need to like check in with me uh, at the moment. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, it's always good to check in on yourself and see what's going on there. Yeah. Speaking of that, um, uh, getting getting pregnant and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, it's funny. About thirty seven years ago, I had this. Uh, I had I was stationed. I was in the Air Force and I was stationed in Clark Air Base in the Philippines for four years. And about when I got there, I got this this uh, letter from my mom. This is way be it was late eighty six, eighty seven, way before like the internet that and all that stuff so i get this message my mom messaged me she goes hey hey joe you need to give us a call there's something that's really important and i go oh okay i gave her a call and she goes yeah we got this letter and picture uh from someone in the mail that you had you had baby girls twins and so i'm like really i can't even imagine who it was like no idea no clue so my mom and dad tried to figure out who it was Nobody. No, I couldn't figure out who it was. Couldn't figure out who it was. So, so last Sunday, I'm moving from Cannes, France, to Nice. Right? I'm getting this. I get this message on Facebook. Right? Now, I've been on. I've been on uh, 23andMe and Ancestry, just checking out my own history and stuff. But I get this message from this this lady. She's 37. She goes, "Hey, no big deal. I just want you to know, I got." I, that I was on 23 or Ancestry and you're, you're our dad, me and my sister. I'm going, what? And I'm looking at her photo, right? I'm looking at her picture and everything. And it is, it is such a miracle, right? So now I've got, she's messaging me and I've got these twins that I hadn't known for like 37 years plus seven grandkids. <laughs> I am like, wow. I mean, it's just a miracle of technology today to bring people together, reconnect people that have been disjuncted, disconnected, abandoned, left alone, and to bring that. So this has been a pretty miraculous week for me to, in France here to kind of connect with my kids and grandkids. And they're so open hearted and loving. So it's such a it's it was, uh, you know, you don't hear about this often, but when you do, it's like, wow. Is that why you moved to France to to reconnect with this side of your family? No, I didn't know a thing about them until yesterday, last week. Oh I my had no god! Idea. I did. I had no idea. And they live in Nice. No they live in Nice, France. No, 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 no. They live in Minnesota. They grew. I was grew up in Minnesota, so they're oh. they live in Minnesota, like ten minutes from my or half hour from where I grew up. Oh my god! Was it like some yeah. kind of one night stand type of situation, or exactly like that? Yeah. Whoa, exactly you're, like you're a powerhouse. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, I woke up uh, Sunday with two kids and uh, 
two grandkids or four kids and two grandkids. And now I'm like, I have eight, six kids and nine grandkids. So it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Wow. We'll That's have to amazing. bring that up later. I'm just discovering these kids for the first time. So, so it was because, am, uh, so you did your 23 and me and then the, that, that 23 and me system sort of, uh, did the paternity test or. No, no, not paternity. It's not a paternity. It's a DNA test to see, like, if you go on the DNA or the 23 me or ancestry, you can see what percentage a person is related to you. Like your sibling would be like 25% or less and a cousin might be 10% or less, but a parent's going to come in at 50%, right? <laughs> so I'm staring at this, her, her uh, initials wasn't her name and this photo and it had me as father 50% DNA. So it was pretty clear and they look exactly like me and the grandkids. So it was pretty blown away. I feel, I feel very blessed right now having, Oh wow! Opportunity to to get to know these kids, you know. So look strange at you. things, yeah. Right? And and it's just more. Well, you're looking at it at the best way possible, like more family, more community, more opportunity, more love, man, more, more love. love. Good, yeah. Did, so I'm they excited. Did, they didn't feel like betrayed or abandoned. You didn't. You didn't know anything about them, and they didn't know their mom never said anything they she married the guy right after i guess she was young she was 15 or 16 at the time i was 17 and the story that they were told was that their bio dad was the guy that she married so they never knew anything different until two months ago actually oh so, my god yeah wow so a phone call from 1986 that you think is like, oh, well, that's not real. Uh, well, I didn't have any idea. It was my mom and dad that were kind of doing it, you know, doing the research and trying. Well, back then, you know, it's impossible. But uh, but they tried and they went out and bought some baby clothes and uh, for twins. But then we never heard from it again. There was no follow up or follow through. It was just sort of a, hey. And they just blew it off as some sort of, you know, this isn't real or whatever. So, but, you know, um, so it's really been bringing our family together and reconciling and which has been really cool to see. Do you, do you got plans to go back to Michigan and see Minnesota? Say, yeah. Minnesota. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try to head back this summer. I can't do a winter in Minnesota, but I'll head back for the summer for a couple months to get a chance to meet everyone so i'll say that 23 and me stuff is pretty fascinating what's that well just speaking of um the needing community for for a healthy mind and and to you know keep yourself positive you you've been traveling all over europe you were you know uh, so now you've you were in con uh you well first you you went to um the Ukraine, then a war broke mm-hmm. out, and you've just been yeah. going all over, um, spending like six months or a year in each. You said you you texted with me that Nice, France, is your final resting place. I have so many questions. How is your French? Are you native? <laughs> do you have clients in French? Can you are is is your speaking level good enough to do therapy in that language? 
And also, like, how have you found community in a place that you've just moved to? Oh, okay, those are great questions. Well, I first I first learned French when I was real young. I moved to Quebec, Montreal, Canada. So I lived there for a little bit for about a year. And that's when I first got in, uh, exposed to French. I really got motivated. <laughs> I was dating a French a French girl, so highly motivated to learn it. So I learned for about a year and took some college classes in French. And then it's been about 30 years since I spoke. But when I got back here, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to immerse myself into it. So I, I, I definitely create community connection. I go out and practice every day when I go order. I, I use an app called Pimsleur. It's a great app in Babel and I have about four or five apps that I download that I, so I kind of get every from every angle. Plus, I got a tutor, and I'm doing a French immersion course up in uh, the Alps, up by the border there of Sweden or Switzerland, uh, this this winter for two weeks. Um, my language skills about intermediate. I would not feel really good about doing professional work yet, but that's one of the reasons why I'm here is get to a level of mastery and fluency. Because it takes, for anyone that's learning a language, it takes two to 10 years. It takes two years to kind of get some pretty good basic skills. And then it takes about 10 years of continual practice to get to a level of mastery, right? Or you're almost like a native fluent speaker. So I've been at it for about a year, well, a year, year and a half. And um, I, I can carry a conversation. I can connect with people. I can, you know, uh, now if you ask me to have a conversation like this, I, I would, it's not going to happen, but it's coming along. I mean, it takes some time. I practice every day for about an hour to two hours a day in the morning. And at night I listen to music and try to do as much as I can to master the skill because it takes that kind of effort to put into it. Um, and then as far as like creating, building, tribe and community and connection. Um, uh, I, I found a really killer website called Internations. It's for expats. So it's uh, it's kind of like the Facebook of the international connection. It's, but it, it's like meetup, but for expats, right? So if you live overseas, it's, so you get on there and they got activities. So you can go paddleboarding, comedy, and you're meeting other English speakers. Not all of them are American or some of them are British or some of just want to uh, practice English. So we got these English communities that you can go connect with them. Um, so there's a lot of resources. So if you are sort of an expat, it's good to connect with as many resources as you can to kind of build your tribe around you. And I just go down here to the harbor too. And I run into guys from Australia, you know, uh, and uh england that uh, they have a they have a uh, a yacht club down here most of them are from other places so nice to connect with them there yeah it takes a while to sort of figure out your place and where to find meet people but always a good idea to get a friend with a yacht that's not the worst thing in the world right yeah i don't have one especially <laughs> if you meet a sexy french girl it's like oh um you want to Hang out on the yacht, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Always up for it. But no, I'm having fun, man. I'm really having a lot of fun out here, kind of exploring, discovering everything. After Ukraine, though, man, I turn I turned off the news. I don't follow the news anymore. I 
I, on my phone though, I do have, I do track and I trace Ukraine. I have like all five cities uh, on my telegram. So I know exactly what's happening on the ground in Ukraine at any moment. So, but I don't, I get the real stuff though. Yeah. The real stuff, man. Not what uh, you get on the news. I get what you're actually seeing on the ground at minute by minute. So I try to keep my pulse and my heart connected to what's happening there. It's terrifying. I I just, uh, uh, you know, it's like one, when the bankers run out of one slush fund, then they start some other bullshit. I don't know. No. Yeah. Um, speaking of being an expat, speaking of toxic relationships, you had a toxic relationship with California, you know, yeah, as, yeah. as a, the, you know, talk about abusive relationships, uh, you know, as a 20 year therapist, divorce court, you know, financial obligations, you were like homeless for a little bit there for, and, uh, you got yourself back together. You reset yourself in Europe. It, do some of the expats from other countries have similar stories to you when you're hanging out with them of France has like a little bit more, a slower pace of life, a little bit more like uh, emphasis on being a full, happy, thriving person than like a workaholic to extreme yeah. consequences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause yeah, the, uh, European lifestyle is much more laid back. It's, I mean, they're, you know, it's LA, California is really different, unique, you know, probably a lot more similar to New York. Well, not really, but there's, there's a busyness. They, you know, it's, you don't get a lot of the connection that you like here. People, you know, I love going out because you just slow things down. I can go down, sit down, have my cappuccino, got my group of friends. Nobody starts work till 10 and, get off at six, you know, restaurants don't really open up till a little bit later anyways, but yeah, it's just a, you know, it's, it, you feel a sense of, of community and connection. There's a word in uh, the Netherlands that they have for this. I can't, uh, I got to remember the word for it, but it's kind of like uh, the, the, it's the Dolce Vita, you know, it's the sweet life. It's simple, sweet, easy, breezy, you know, especially here on the Mediterranean, it might be different up in Paris, probably because it's more Mediterranean or uh, metropolitan, but cosmopolitan. But here, you know, it's pretty laid back. Mm. I remember uh, in Germany and, you know, also I had, you know, I was an exchange student for a month over there. And I also, you know, was uh, running my sketch comedy club in my high school. So I had like this kind of like at least a little charisma, a little charm, a little whatever. And like, I remember when I pull, so my exchange student was like, you know, talking down to me all the time because I was mutt blooded and I wasn't like a perfect mm. specimen because my dad's German Irish, my mom's Italian. My exchange student literally was like, oh, you're mutt blood. I was like, what? So when I pulled like the hottest girl in his high school, because all the kids in the high school had, were bored of each other. And, you know, they all had that like lax life. And I just had this urgency, this sense of urgency, because right. I was there like a month to like be as entertaining as possible. And it really like, like how many times am I going to be in a German high school once ever? And when I was like making out with this girl in the high school, I, I looked up in the quad and he was on the second floor banister and he was like, yeah, you know what I mean? 
because uh you know he was this ruthless engineer and he was like you know a little uh he thought that his status in the world his like perfect blood little nazi shithead would like carry yeah. him to like a mating strategy and me mm-hmm. coming from the flight or flight capitalism ruthless capitalism of new jersey i was like right all right all right you want to compete with me let's see and uh yeah so that was one of the highlights of my entire life looking back at it <laughs> right yeah um seems like you've had to like i was saying before i would always put like my happiness in a talisman of a woman and then i would be a simp and i wouldn't be you know having my own uh desires fulfilled um you've had to rework your motivational structure many times you've uprooted your life many times you had you know you got cushy in california during your marriage for a long time you were completely thriving you were running a whole uh system and you've had to uproot yourself and start over what how do you do that when you moved to nice france in this last time you 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 know at the triage of your life it sounds like you're like okay first i need community i need friends i need to immerse myself in the language like you you hit the ground running because of your experience you know but like what is that like to you like I think you thrive because of your military background on a little chaos, a little chaos. So you know it's not going to be easy, but then you know that you know there's going to be a reward on the other side. So so how have you structured your motivational system in your last move here to Nice? Oh, okay. Well, I think well one of the things that, you know, I, I don't just get up and leave. I, there's a lot of preparation in advance to kind of build that bridge from here to there because there's a lot of things. So I ha- whatever I have going on at home, I got to make sure that when I land in a new place that I'm grounded, right, that, I'm, that I have my support systems, right? So, and so I've, I do a lot of research. Like right now, I'm going to be here for a while, but before I got here, I'm looking at where am I? Where's my medical? Where do I go paddleboarding? Where do I get my hospital care if I need to go do that? You know, uh, where's the, uh, where do I go shopping so that I can, if I have an emergency? So I, I do all the pre-work, but it's a lot of fun. It's like really building, um, going in and building that structure, that scaffolding around me again. Um, but you got to remember, I'm not moving a whole house. I'm moving two suitcases. <laughs> and and then the rest of my stuff is on my computer and I just have to pick and move. So it's just, it's, it's just a geographic, so in a lot of ways, it just becomes like a geographical, you know, everything's structured the same. Everything looks the same. It's just a different house, right? I'm no different, but, but I go out. And so I, I do a lot of research on trying to anticipate what are my needs there? What's going to happen? Um, Obviously, I didn't do that a very good job at that the first time I went to Ukraine. It was kind of like uh, I didn't know what to expect. Different language, different uh, uh, lettering, different spell. I didn't know the language, so it was very, it was very confusing when I first was in Ukraine for that year. Um, uh, I learned a lot from that confusion, um, and you know about because i couldn't uh because you start learning where you can't use your bank cards uh, i couldn't call out my sim card wouldn't work 
I went two weeks without a phone because my SIM card just wasn't working in any of the hotspots. I had to find a Wi-Fi. So you get a little technical problems, but you kind of, you know, it's kind of cool because you're kind of learning and growing. The worst, one of the worst things that happened when I was in Ukraine was I lost my ATM card, my bank card in one of the, I was in this underground uh, metro station, train station that was pretty deep. And I was so anxious and so like fight, flight, freeze because I didn't know where I was going. I actually inadvertently left my bank card in in the in the ATM card in the ATM, right? And then I can't and I go back and I can't get it back. So I'm without an ATM card for like three weeks. And I'm living off of this cash and I'm having to sell everything and live in and then I had to get out of my apartment and go stay in like a a freaking uh what was it? Uh hostel in the middle of Ukraine. So you kind of learn, you know, you kind of learn by failure a lot. But it's part of the adventure, man. It's all part of the design. Yeah. Did that make you a, a better clinician having gone through sure. that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you got to deal, because one of the things that you really have to learn to develop, I think, is a especially when you're dealing with trauma, people that do have trauma is dealing with uncertainty, right? When you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty, you know, you can get overwhelmed and fragment and go into that all, you know, fracture and polarize and dissociate. And I, I noticed when I was overwhelmed a lot because in my past, I would sort of dissociate or detach from what was happening. In fact, I got during the middle of the war, I got so overwhelmed. I had three, three micro strokes and I was like, Oh, what am I going to do with that? Now that I've had these micro strokes, I was afraid it was going to go to a bigger one, but uh, yeah, you just, it, you, you learn, you teach, you kind of figure out what's most important. Um, and, you know, and I, I, but I think, that's kind of typical, I think, for most people when they're traveling is to kind of find a way of getting grounded quickly, you know, getting resourced as fast as you can. Um, and, uh, yeah. I'll tell you, when I was watching my roommate that I moved here, like, completely unwind and blame everything on me, I was like to gain a function a freaking community i i realized that richard lord's boxing club didn't have a janitor i was like i'll do that so then i started right. like just having a free membership as the janitor and i took i would vacuum i still do vacuum the mats all the time then slowly but surely i started getting gigs doing private lessons when he would go hey that guy's going to golden gloves work with him and then Richard would just watch me work and he's like, oh, okay, you know how to do that. Oh, okay. And just like nice, slowly, nice. incrementally, I started yeah. like growing. And then when I had my birthday, all my friends are from the boxing club. It's so right. important. You, yeah. Yeah. So find your tribe. I always tell people, find your tribe, find your community, find what you love and, um, you know, and stick with it, you know, stay with it. So because it takes about it yeah. takes about five years. It takes about but anytime you make a move, it takes about five years to adjust and sort of normalize and kind of create your 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 connections, your your knowing where your resources are. Uh, but between that zero to five years, there's a lot of 
you know, uncertainty, right? Um, uh, it's kind of like this, it's kind of like the whole thing around forming, storming, norming, performing, right? The forming part of it, setting up the strategy, there's a lot of storming going on internally and out externally. And then you sort of start, you know, norming, things sort of norm out for a while, and then you start performing more, right? But it's pretty, it's all these moving, because there's, you know, it's multiple part moving parts, you know, there's multiple dimensions sort of co-occurring simultaneously. And so it's hard to know, so where to begin. But if you can find that one anchor place, like like you did, like get connected to a, like a boxing boxing uh, wow. outfit or something like that, where you can really, and then just stay with it, right? Mm. Stay with your passion, cultivate those, nurture those relationships. So I have a question. It's really you. hard. It's really hard living alone now overseas. It's walking alone is not easy to do. Yes. And you have your old uh, stuff. You have your old wounds. Um, my my big question for you is, um, having gone through, and this was years ago, but having gone through when I met first met you uh, at that speed dating thing uh, down in Santa Monica, um, Santa, Santa Monica. Monica um you you were the king of santa monica you were just divorced you were trying to find a new mate um to kind of um also help your business because your clients started leaving you when they realized that you know you had been divorced and you um you know so it was like a multifaceted thing to kind of uh get with a new partner at that time in your life um do you not great motive not great motive not great motivation though to do that <laughs> yeah to do it because of my business that was kind of a rookie error on my part coming out of a divorce because you really like when you come out of divorce i think it's really important to kind of get to know re get reacquainted with knowing who you are right and why the relationship fell apart the way it did and you know what my contribution was to those problems and so i think in a lot of ways i was ignoring you know a lot of the ways i also was contributing to the problem of intimacy and relationship and communication right even though i was an expert i had my blind spots and i didn't see it right so i had to do a lot of inner work to kind of see where those sort of blind spots were and um uh so I didn't date for a long time afterwards. I After that, I didn't date for a couple of years. I was just like, I need to kind of get back to my own mission and purpose. And I went back into my doctorate, started researching that. I took a, because uh, you said mission and purpose. So my new mission purpose after that was to get into developing and researching trauma-informed mixed reality VR to treat trauma in the metaverse, this whole new sort of, uh, technology that's still kind of coming together it still hasn't it's not a fully integrated thing yet but that was that's been my mission and purpose here too so that's the other nice thing you know with men i think you have to have a mission and purpose that you can carry with you right that's your orbit right so if i've, I've got my orbit this gravity right this gravity is really important now if i'm attaching myself to this other orbit a female or woman or whatever that's a moving target if, you know she's moving like this you know and if i'm like trying to 
that's really destabilizing, right? For a guy to be constantly, oh, where is she going? I'm so I'm attached to her mission, her purpose, whatever, right in that way. I got to be solid. I'm that orbit. I got this gravitation, you know. She can do all that, but I have to have my mission and purpose. Okay. You're a dog with a that, ball, and women need yeah, the, the dog, their freedom. Yeah, and I'm chasing this car, and I don't even know what I'm going to do with it once I catch it, right? So <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm chasing this car. I don't even know what to do. Right? You yeah, get yeah. the car, you know, you, you got a hold of it, and I don't even know what to do with it now that I have this car, right? So it goes beyond just the mission purposes. Like, now what do I do with this? How? How do I meet the demands of these relationships, right? Because we get we know we get attracted to what we get attracted to people's outsides, right? What they see on paper, the way they look, but what you experience is what you experience their insides, character. You know, you experience you know their attachment. Can they can they be a safe, secure base? Can they lean in? Can they connect? Can they can they meet the demands of relationship, right? But a better question is, can I meet those demands of relationship? And if I'm not, then I got some work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've many times I've approached uh, women in bars who because they were attractive. And in four seconds, I was like, oh, you're really dumb. Never mind. Um, I can't do this. Um, As a therapist, do you do you have any clients that like trigger you from your sort of divorce and like how do you compartmentalize like a, a carnal problem that was you might have ptsd from and like a client with their own orbit issue yeah um sometimes i i've done a lot of work there are there are times there are certain times where i do get triggered um and usually it's around um you know, sort of a, uh, well, um, I'm trying to, that's a great question. Cause I got triggered the other day by a client. Um, when you're dealing with the, uh, kind of the wounding of the patriarchy, right. I tend to have a, you know, I have five daughters, so I have a little bit of a, probably a proclivity or a little bit more of a protective and that I've always worked on because I try to, I, trying to overprotect the the, the 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 wife or the partner the feminine partner more and i don't do that often but when i feel like that i kind of step in and i have to set really firm boundaries you know and kind of be more direct with them and but yeah there's times where i get i get triggered for sure i'm only human uh, i try not to i don't always allow it to come out in my sessions, so I got to go back and reprocess it with my own therapist or whatever. If I do, if, which is great because it's just the right blessing and just the perfect gift to mirror back where I'm still wounded and I need more healing, right? So it's constant, you know, mirroring back where I need to be, where my wound, my where those wounds, right, sort of pop up, and I go, oh, there it is again. Go back and process it some more. So you, what is that? You said a very key term that that's important for you: the wounding of the patriarchy. Can you create an allegory for me to understand what you mean by that? Well, Terry Real is actually really good at talking about the wounding of the patriarchy. Is and then you have the like the colluding of that too. The the patriarchy is is 
is that male dominated toxic sort of one up, you know, my way, the highway, there's no accepting influence at all. But that wounding is where there's these tools of repression that sort of, in a way, will keep, you know, repress, you know, uh, my, you know, like, uh, my father was very much like that. A lot of the patriarchy, just the wounding can continue to repress or oppress freedom of expression or freedom, you know, my own agency, right? I have agency and that gets sort of shut down or, or minimized or, um, devalued, right? Um, because then it's not about my growth and development. It's about how I, I, I mirror you, right? If I look like you, dad, if I sound like you, I talk like you and, I believe like you, you're going to love and accept me, right? If I don't look like you, talk like you, believe like you, you know, there's going to be, you know, this sort of subjugation, right? I'm going to hold you down until you, until you uh, see it my way, right? But there's a lot of, but this is, this goes back, this is forever, right? We're all sort of the patriarchy that it, that, goes deep into all of us that we're healing and also yeah. the matriarchy that will collude with that at times i see so the or overbearing the, the, the feminine the overbearing you know narcissist like you're saying of my way or the highway and if you question me that's met with violence it's met with diminishing it's met with gaslighting it's met with threats yeah. of violence it's met with right. intimidation exactly right exactly right um there's some good stuff uh by terry real and uh, david dieta and other guys that are that really speak to the wounding of the the patriarchy and the wounding of the patriarchy if people are interested in researching that i'm i'm highly invested in healing that in society um, I, I'm traditional, but I'm also a little bit of a feminist. I'm a feminist in that I believe in equality and egalitarian type of relationships, not these one up, one down type of dynamics, but really people working together as two powerful people, you know, that are adjusting, accommodating and being able to meet each other and meet each other's needs. Right. So we're leapfrogging rather than tearing each other apart. I'll tell you, in the comedy world, I am so drawn to Tom Rhodes, Jimmy Schubert, and Sam Tripoli because I see how they act with their fans. And I've opened for all of these people, all of these headliners that I'd like to be the apprentice for because yeah. I see that they treat their fans like gold. I see how they treat their colleagues. And I see that they love, they love fostering enthusiasm in beginners. And yeah. there's other comics that cannot help themselves from the grand wound in their soul from ritually sacrificing open micers because they're cunts and their names are tony yeah, hinchcliffe that's right. right that's right tony hinchcliffe is bad for the heart chakra of the comedy scene in austin texas because he has this deep insecure wound and has to shit on everybody if we it's like a president of the united states if we follow a certain president with a certain ideal spectrum who fills his cabinets with people like him, 
we will be marched in a certain direction uh, of positive or negative. And I'm like, on uh, politically, I'm very ambiguous. I liked Ron Paul because he said five sentences in a row that made sense. And I also like Bernie Sanders, who put five sentences in a row who that made sense. One's a mm-hmm. libertarian, one's a socialist. It's like, mm-hmm. I just don't like liars. And, and I think right. like the model doesn't matter. The lack of lying and transparency really matters. Yeah, I but agree. Absolutely. Speaking, speaking of that, with um and i would fist fight tony hinchcliffe but speaking of all of this um i i found when i was in germany that the girls had like much less sort of like adhd symptoms because their maslow hierarchy of needs seemed to be taken care of like housing school society food healthcare, college that's right they had this so there was just like a baseline more of like people's actual intention and personality was more of a currency than it is in America. We're in America because currency is the top of currency that like women are sort of by nature of um, what's the word necessity. They're, they're attracted to psychos who have the money because for some reason in America, alpha narcissist psychopaths seem to be the top tip of the 1% of the 1% and down the, patriarchy hierarchy people aspire to be psychopaths in order to survive in a in a garbage society run by a kleptocracy of psychopaths and so do you see that in france uh there's less adhd symptoms my friend charlie robinson who's an author said when he put out his book it all went to europe because they actually are Mm -hmm. calm enough in their mind to read (laughs) you know what i mean yeah right yeah i yeah well, I, I, well, ADHD is one of uh, is probably a general term, but I, I think we're just so over. What do we do when we're overwhelmed, right? As a society, as a people, as a you know, and the more we're burdened, the more all these things happen. We go, we fall back to what we did as children when we get overwhelmed by work and school and being overburdened by stuff. Is we fracture. Right. We split off where we become, you know, it's too much. So we fracture. Right. So I got this good guy over here and this bad guy over here. Right. So I'm fractured and this good guy out here doing good things. And then I keep my bad guy secret and hidden. Right. Here you got both going together and like and there's acceptance for both the good and the bad. Right. There's no separation of good and bad Joe. There's good Joe, bad Joe. And we Joe's like cool in america it's you're either all good you know got this money you're alpha you got all this stuff but if you don't then you're you're all bad there's no there's no integration of the good and bad parts right it's just and so we're constantly fractured in our dynamics i don't see people here making comparisons like that where you know because you get into that the comparison is you got this one down position of shame Right. Because we're all carrying that shame story. I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough. I'm not getting enough. I'm not getting enough money. I'm not hustling enough. And I got to try harder. And I go grandiose. Grandiosity doesn't work. And then I give up and I'm down to shame again. And I try harder and give up, <laughs> try harder, give up, try harder, give up, try harder, give up, try harder, give up. That Whoa, that's exhausting. But we're fractured. And so we're trying to, in, you know, so what I see here is people are more integrated, whole, authentic. 
with their good and bad stuff, right? They're not trying to make the bad, the good stuff more grandiose and hide the shame. They're just, you know, I love, I love, I love French because they're so fatalistic. You know, they just, they, <laughs> they're okay with, they're okay with living with things not being perfect, you know? Yeah. They embrace the, the differences that are there. But does that make sense when we're that overwhelm that we feel and the burden that we carry, you know, and that's what we learned in our childhood growing up. You don't see that in a Montessori system, right? Well, I have beef with Montessori because I feel like uh, they could be feral children. Oh, what do you want to do today? Uh, we're doing math over here. No, I want to play with Play-Doh. I don't know. I, I'm not. Well, that's different. Well, I think in American culture, it because it's so different, right? It's a different, that does seem, it would seem very different. But there, it's, here, it's, you watch them on the, you watch them on the beach and you watch them play here. It's like all the kids are really integrated. They're supportive of each other, you know, and usually if one wants to go do it, the other one will go join them and they'll be a participant. And they just think differently about connection. They think differently about that sense of belonging community. It's not, you know, me first. It's, you know, it's a, it's a collective mind share. I'll tell you this. I was driving on the highway and next to me was a round rock ISD independent school district school bus drove by me. And I looked up briefly and, uh, or maybe we're at a red light. I got a good look inside and every single kid had earbuds in and, and they were on their phone, looking down at their phone in their own world. I almost wanted to cry in Jersey public school. We were bullying each other. I was, um, which is our greatest export. Our greatest achievement of New Jersey is the level of bullying, which is very helpful. Um, I was buying basketball cards. I was uh, playing, you know, not Pokemon. We had Pogs at the time. We were gambling. We were t trying. We were playing three card Monty. We were playing Texas Hold'em. We were communicating with analog things in our hands. We weren't all siloed with a complete shut off lack of community. One kid over here is looking at TikTok videos. One kid over here is looking at Pornhub. One kid over here is uh, reading the New York Times. None of that. What's the point of it if none of them are fucking talking to each other? Right, right. You know, I was at my my daughter was turning 16, right? I, we were having a birthday party and I was coming in the door and and I was hearing all this chatter, right? And and I walked downstairs into the pit where we had a house and I saw everyone else on their phone chatting with someone else somewhere else and all these kids were like <laughs> I had to I had to be dad and just go around and collect all the phones and say your phones are here but we're here to play and have fun and connect. So that's what we're here for. And I think it's the adults, you know, we got, again, you know, we could collude with that story, but I have to take some responsibility myself to make sure that I'm creating an environment of love, respect and nurturing and support, right? It's my, it, that's what I'm doing, you know, I'm here to go, hey guys, <laughs> you guys are so... And I'm pretty playful about it, so I don't get angry. I go, oh, guys, come on, you know, let's get yeah, our yeah. phones, put them away, you know, collecting, 
We're here. You can collect them at the end. We're here to have fun, right? Yeah. You should have seen the anxiety on their face <gasps> for like, and but once they got talking with each other and having fun and, you know, and having a pillow fight and doing all that stuff and getting scared watching scary movies, it was the best time of their life. Yeah. But you don't see that here in Europe. You don't see kids on phones and gaming and all that. When they're out, they're socializing and they're connecting. You know, they're. Yeah, man. I mean, no. my, uh, uh, you know, uh, it, that's why it's so important for me to hang out with my godson all the time because he's my best friend. Yeah. He's, th he's 13. And like for two and a half years, I've lived here in Austin and serendipitously, we all ended up connecting. And I noticed that he spends a lot of time on his iPad. And so when I show up, I'm go, let's get out of the house and uh, let's go. And so I took him go-karting. I take him this place and that place. But bro, as he's got more comfortable with me and we talk all the time, I made the mistake of telling his mom, I think it's really funny when he makes fun of me. That information got back to him. And he brutalized me so terribly yesterday. I, I, I'm still like recovering emotionally from it. Like I was, we were having girl chat and, you know, and I was like, listen, when, you know, it's funny. 25 years ago when I was in middle school, the rules are the same. And I was like, listen, if another guy tells you he likes a girl, she's off limits unless he asked her out and gets rejected. Then maybe right. uh, give him some time to, you know. But when a girl tells a friend that she likes a boy, that friend will immediately swoop in. Because now that girl, yeah. and then the way he put it, he's like, oh, that person's likable. Oh, maybe I like them too. Because then their social status went up when the other girl said that they liked them. I mean, so girls follow social status hierarchies. When one girl says, oh, I like that guy, then the other girl likes the guy. When a guy right. says he likes a girl, that that is, a, he puts an invisible force field around that girl because men fist fight, right? Right. So then there is bro the element. Code, though. There's an honor code. There's a kind of an unspoken bro code, right? Honor no, code. It's bro. It's, I know it's in our DNA. It's in our DNA. Yeah, there was it no, is. There's wired. no conversation about it. This is what happens. Right. One could say that men act ethically and with boundaries and, and women, um, you know, anyway, answer to a different um, authority. But um, that's one way to put it. <laughs> right. That's one way to put it. But he, he so then I was talking about my successes and failures with women. And then he just goes, well, when did you go bald? And I go, 27. And I'm 38 now. So he goes, oh, so you're 11 in bald years. And I was like, oof. <laughs> oh, wow. No, no one's ever called what that, me. What, is, what, what does that mean? That puts your your uh, your girlfriend, ex-girlfriend's son yeah. to you? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and she very, very uh, uh, loudly likes uh, boys, long-haired bass players. You know, that's her favorite is long-haired musicians. Mm, and so when mm. I was even talking about failures with his own mother then he's like well you're 11 dating and dating bald years so no oh, god manage your expectations <laughs> sir right like, fuck dude <laughs> ouch so, oh that hurts oof and that was a deep <laughs> buddy when i went bald i went crazy i was telling you the last podcast i was wearing a laser helmet on my head for a while i was doing all the tricks and gimmicks you know you can't fight dna you know at a certain point yeah but. right yeah, DNA. But 
I'm glad that he's at the level because it took, you know, two and a half years multiple for him to get comfortable with me. But now that right. he's comfortable with me, God, does he shit on me so hard. But um, if I didn't go through the the crucible of all that Jersey bullying, I would have yeah. I would have left him at, at a highway exit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was driving him home after buying him dinner and, he, and he's saying I'm 11 and bald years. That little shit. <laughs> Oh, oh, that really God. hurt you, huh? Like, yeah, you know. but, you know, fair play to him. He's my best friend. So what are you going to do? Oh, that's awesome. And he's that's like great. 13. I'm 38. We're at the exact same, like, emotional intelligence level. Uh, <laughs> we like playing Grand Theft Auto 4, and we like go-karting, right. you know? Nice. We're, we're right there. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, well, we're almost wrapping up here. Because and, and yeah. I, I, I'm quite happy, you know, on this Friday. It's so funny. Spe- uh, speaking of male dating strategies, uh, Friday, I'm going with Richard Lord's Boxing Club to Sigma Chi fraternity at UT Austin. And you know oh, how nice. like deer bucks will hit antlers for mates? Um, I think that we're going to Sigma Chi so frat guys can beat each other up for sorority girls. And that's as far yeah. as I'm thinking about it. No, I got a secret. I got a story for you about that because my family growing up, we own uh, we own a a deer farm in our backyard, and we're all professional archers, right? There, if you go to WhitcombsWhitetails.com, but yeah, we used to watch the deer in the back, you know, butt heads, and you know, clash. They're 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 territorial, right? Because they're fighting for, you know, not just territory, but they're fighting for Bambi's mom, you know. yeah, for mates, right? So what my family does, now this is really cool because what they do is they used to collect these deer. They put them in a, a hut, they'd make them stand there and then they'd kiss into the, this bat and then you go collect it, right? Now it's really important when you collect deer pee and it's just something you sell to other hunters, right? So it's like a it's like a perfume for deer, right? It's a practice. Um, but so like the... the uh, like so if, a, if you have like a buck scent right the deer's going to want to fight wh- who's ever there and if you have a doe scent which when you collect the, the deer your pee when they're in, in 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 heat right it's got blood in the blood in the urine right so then they want to go you know so but the one thing you don't want to do is combine those two right the chemistry's off because the buck's going to come charging in and he doesn't, he's going to be so confused if you got both, right? Because he doesn't know whether he wants to fight or fuck. <laughs> so. No, that, that's like fight that. or fuck, right? So it's, it's fighting and fucking. So it, that's not true. You can use both at the same time. But it's kind of funny. <laughs> every, every morning would. I make the same awful decision with myself. Right. Do I want to go fight or fuck? I don't know. <laughs> um, Dr. That's Joe Whitcomb, the relationship society.com. He's in Nice, France right now. Uh, Whitcomb whitetails.com. White, um, uh, Whitcomb whitetail. Whitcomb, it's not my company. It's my parents, my brother. They own Whitcomb whitetails and they do like Matthews bows and they're up in Minnesota. They, they got a lot of stuff, but it's fun um so uh any any parting thoughts uh any any updates you want to give with your virtual reality 
um, trauma healing software? Um, well, it's still on the back burner. We're, we're working on, uh, because the technology is still catching up with what we need to be able to do because it's all integrated. So it's sort of in, in sort of Evo in development, still trying to wait for these parts to come together. And the costs are really expensive. Well, we want to be able to try to just to take this huge uh, ocean of data information, distill it into this little drop called VR. So it takes a little bit of, it takes a lot of work, but I'm every day I'm working on it. We're working on finding investors, trying to find people to, cause I got to, what I was working on when I was in Ukraine was the uh, prototype, right? So I, I had everything invested in that prototype. Um, my life got destroyed, so I got to come back and rebuild that. Um, but it's slowly, slowly. I mean, I'm not, I'm not attached to the speed or the outcome. I just want to do it well. I want to do it right. It's going to be sort of a legacy piece for me, and my family, friends, and you know, as it comes up. But lots of work. I'm still working on. I'm still doing my as much as I can, some online therapy. So I, I work with uh, people all over the world doing therapy online. So, which is fun. Um, well, it's such a pleasure to know you. You're so vulnerable, so open. So the sort of like the wounded shaman, the, uh, I don't know, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, just a, a great friend, uh, and just no, a very thank sweet, you. sweet, humble person. So, <laughs> Thank you, brother. It's always good talking with you. I got we'll a quick plug. Uh, 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 Friday, uh, November 17 at 10 p.m. in the Vulcan Gas Company. Klaus Schwab Jr. will open for the Tinfoil Hat Comedy Night. And then we'll see more dates to come there. EricCollerbach.com calendar. Uh, this has been Highway Diary episode 393 with Dr. Joe Wickham for the third time. Bye-bye. And where do they find my website? I can't. The, the society.com. I will have nice. notes uh, that published in the show notes. Relationshipsociety.com. Right. Dr. Joe Wickham. Excellent. All right, guys. Thank you again. Good seeing you again, sir.